0: We read the story of the Transfiguration three times in the liturgical year. Uh, we read it yesterday, uh, today, and also then in August for the Feast of the Transfiguration. So it's a story that we're well aware of. It's a um, it's a, an accessible story, but I think part of the uh, part of a. a uh, part of one way to access the truth of of the story of the transfiguration is to see it in the context of what else is being said in the gospel. The story of the transfiguration happens in very close proximity with two other stories. And in each of these stories, Peter is the center. The first of these in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the chap- near the, uh, this is chapter 16, is the giving of the keys to Peter, where our Lord says, "Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. To you I give the keys of the kingdom, that what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven." That's the first story. The second story is the pivot, it seems to me, of all three of them. The transfiguration is the third story. The giving of the keys is the first one. The pivot in the middle is this one. Right after he gave Peter the keys, he says, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one, that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the ancients and the scribes and the chief priests and to put to death and the third day rise again. He gives Peter the keys and then St. Matthew says, from that time... Jesus says these things. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be killed. But I will rise again the third day. There's a relation between him giving the keys to Peter and from that time talking about his passion. But how does Peter react? to the prediction of his passion and death and resurrection, how does Peter react? Because it was from the very first moment of him getting the keys that our Lord started this message. And Peter, taking him, began to rebuke him. Wait a minute, who's rebuking whom? Peter is rebuking the one who just gave him the keys. He began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, be it far from thee, this shall not be unto thee. Lord, be it far from thee, this shall not be unto thee. This passion, this torture, this death. And that thing I didn't hear you say, the resurrection. And what did our Lord say to Peter? Who turning said to Peter, Go behind me, Satan, thou art a scandal unto me. Because thou savorest not the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. Go behind me, Satan. Satan. Thou art a scandal unto me, because thou savorest not the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. Ten minutes before he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjon. And now he's saying, now he's calling him Satan. Satan is the one who resists, the one who puts obstacles in the way. And Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We would, rightly, we would rightly anticipate that if Jesus had given Peter the keys of the kingdom, he's the king, he's making a prime minister. That is the way the Jewish kingdom worked. The king doesn't have to do all the day-to-day administration of the kingdom. He has a prime minister to do that. He is busy with international affairs he might go on an international trip and in his place is administering the kingdom is a prime minister and the prime minister has the keys in other words the prime minister has all the authority of the king without being the king that is what giving the keys means Peter is being made the prime minister of Christ Peter is not the king he doesn't think of himself as the king nobody ever called him the king he is not the king Christ is the king but Christ is going on a trip he's going away and in his stead he needs a prime minister to administer his kingdom we would anticipate that the, the prime minister would have to be educated in order to do a good job administering the kingdom that is, does not belong to him, and yet the one in which he has the keys of authority. And what is the very first lesson that this new prime minister is taught? Get behind me, Satan, thou art a scandal unto me, because thou savourest not the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. If many a man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For he, Peter, he that will save his life shall lose it. And he, Peter, that shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own soul? Or what exchange shall a man give for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will he render to every man according to his works. Amen, I say to you. There are some of them that stand here that shall not taste death, Shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In this case, our Lord is not talking about the second coming, He's talking about um, uh, our Lord coming in his kingdom, which is referring to uh, the mysteries uh, that are going to unfold uh, in that generation. This lesson that our Lord teaches to Peter is not the only lesson he has for Peter. After six days, after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. This is now lesson number two. Lesson number one, he who would follow me must pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow me with his cross. Lesson number two, behind the thin veil of what is visible lies a transcendent glory. The transfiguration isn't something that happened so much to Christ as it is something that happened to Peter and his two um, right-hand men, James and John. The transfiguration isn't a change that Jesus went through. It is a manifestation of the reality of Jesus for the sake of Peter. Peter. And his two, we might say, cardinals, James and John. Our Lord was appeared there. His face shone like the sun. And with him were Moses and Elias. How did Peter know that it was Moses and Elias? Just two old men with big beards. All those old men with big beards look the same, don't they? How did he know that it was, did they have name tags on? Or maybe they had opposite shirts. I'm with Moses with an arrow. I'm with Elias. The very fact that Peter knew who Moses and Elias were is a theological indication of what they were being shown. They were given a window into the hidden reality of the church. Where they had a a certain intuition as to who Moses and Elias were. No, they didn't have name tags on. Because they were given a view of the glory of the church. Where our Lord, transfigured in glory is having an easy conversation with his two friends, Moses and Elias. Now, this isn't the first time that our Lord had a conversation with Moses and Elias. He was speaking to them the day before, and he spoke to them the day after. This isn't something new for him. It's new for Peter that he didn't know before that this Jesus of Nazareth was in an easy conversation with all the patriarchs of the church. Now he's being given a window into the reality that is hidden behind the veil. We are our Lord. Despite the fact that he's going to Jerusalem to be tortured to be betrayed, to be spit upon, to be crucified, and to die, and to be buried. Despite the fact that all those things are going to happen, right behind the veil is his glory transfigured. And right behind the veil of visibility is the invisible reality of the church who are connected to Christ this is the second lesson that the Prime Minister is being shown that we are not to be swayed by what is merely visible but we are to live our life according to faith and that is to live our life according to what is invisible first, and only in accordance with what is visible second. This is why, in the crisis de jour of the Roman Catholic faith, why, uh, when many are considering leaving the church or have left the church. Because the church is full of scoundrels, they have lost sight of what is invisible. They're paying too much attention to what is merely visible. For the divinity and the glory of the church is hidden. As the glory and divinity of Christ himself was hidden. Hidden. And the glory and the humanity and the divinity of Christ in the Eucharist is hidden. We believe in a hidden God. As Isaiah says so beautifully in his work. Yes, our God is a hidden God. So Peter is being taught the first lesson as the prime minister. He's being taught his first lesson, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And uh, And when he reacts negatively to that, no, far be it from you to have your passion. And you know that he's thinking, and far be it from me to be included in your passion. Versus his reaction to the transfiguration, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. Yes, it is good for us to be here. You say that because you see now what is, what is invisible has been made visible to you. And your reaction is, it's good for us to be here. I agree. I consent. I want to stay. Versus six days before. Far be it from you to have a passion far be it from me to be included in your passion and to participate and to have to follow you in that. Our Lord says, don't be swayed by what is merely visible. We can, therefore, live a life of penance and at the same time, with a view to what is invisible, with the eyes of faith, say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Lord, it is good for us to be here. I believe in what is invisible. I believe that you are full of glory despite your passion. And I believe that I too will share in that glory if I acquiesce to your holy will and share in your passion too. So when you're accosted in a lettuce aisle at the grocery store, someone sees your crucifix and asks whether you're a Catholic, and they accost you saying, well, I was raised Catholic, but then I figured out that the Catholic Church is full of scoundrels, and so therefore I left. Why are you still a Catholic? Your answer could be taken from the story of the uh, transfiguration. I'm Catholic because it's good to be Catholic. I'm Catholic because the glory of Christ is made available to me in many levels. First of all, in the Eucharist. And I have seen and experienced his glory. I have seen and experienced a conversation with all the patriarchs and the saints and the angels. And therefore I have concluded that it's good to be there. And despite the passion whereby we are rightly being purified, it is good for us to be here. God love you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.